Remember that one? I used to laugh and laugh and laugh at that show. Didn't know how serious a question it was, however. You realize how serious that question is? I doubt it. I doubt it. We need to search our hearts, figure out why. Betty was adopted uh, as a baby, and uh, her parents raised her in a God-fearing home. Her mom was a sweet, wonderful believer and encouraged Betty in the things of God all her life. Her dad came to faith uh, late in his life, just a few years before he passed away. Um, And that made some interesting dynamic in the home. But uh, thank God for a godly adopted mom. What a blessing. When her mom died, uh, she had that longing to uh, find her birth mom. And God was gracious. And so almost 20 years ago now, um, she made contact with a lady in Chicago. And uh, we came to know Catherine Mernick as uh, Betty's birth mom. About three months after we met her mother and family, two half-brothers and stepfather and so on, uh, the oldest of the boys had a wedding, and we got invited. So we went, and of course, uh, Betty was kind of stealing the show because all these relatives had heard the story about her coming home and so on and so forth. While we were sitting at the table greeting all these relatives and trying to tell our life story, the father of the bride came up to me and said, I understand you're a minister of the gospel. I said, well, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. He said, "I I want you to pray a prayer of blessing on this ceremony. I said, oh, yeah. I don't know anything about you folks. I don't know. You know, all every excuse. No, I want you to pray. Come on now. And he drags me up there and shoves me toward the MC, and I'm supposed to get the microphone from the MC's hand and start praying. The bride, the groom, the wedding party, everybody else, he's the only one that knows anything about this. Okay? I was embarrassed, I have to tell you. Not because I was praying, because, you know, how does it look for some total stranger, a newcomer to the family, to go up and grab the microphone and say, okay, everybody, we're going to pray. Well, I got it done, and then the first thing I did was head to the bridal table and say, your dad asked me to. Now, why was I so concerned? Why was I, why was I worried? Got any ideas on that one? A moot crowd. Yes, yes. You see, you don't just march into a wedding ceremony, grab the mic and start taking over. Because you don't have authority to do that. Does that make sense? What would it be like if, you're, if you go down to uh, Dubuque County Courthouse and... Um, the chamber is open and a trial's going on and, and here comes Aaron Harlow sauntering up in his shorts and plaid shirt. Excuse me, Judge, you want to move over? I'm going to take this time. What would happen? A bailiff. 
Right? Aaron would be where he belongs. No. <laughs> no, we're concerned about authority. We're concerned about this line of responsibility. Does that make sense? And it's everywhere. It permeates every aspect of culture. Because without it, there's chaos. Without it, nobody in control, nobody in charge, nobody calling the shots. Some people say, well, that sounds good to me. But just think of the consequences if that's the way life were. You know that corner at Grandview and Delhi and... There's about 38 other streets that come in there. Okay? I've gotten so I'm so polite when I get to that corner because I've been flipped fingers and honked and so on and so forth because I thought it was my turn. Right? So I just sit there and sit there and sit there and sit there and cars are going... Finally, I sneak out into the midst of it and you know, nobody yells at me anymore. we have a structure we have authority and those little red signs with four letters on them are authority now the sign itself if that were hanging on your bedroom wall would it mean anything? not really nice decoration Kevin stole one once he's got one No, no I made that up Delete that. Okay. <laughs> but once it's posted on a corner officially by the city of Dubuque, it suddenly has authority. And try not doing what it says sometime, especially if there's one of those little gumball machines around. Right? You're going to pay. We understand the need for authority in our culture. It's absolutely important. But I don't think any of us grasp how important it is. And so over and over and over again, we ask this question, who's the boss? And I'm gonna, you're going to see this, this picture again, and not because I'm... Didn't he go to Loris College? UD. Woo, okay. Huh? All right, okay. Well, I hope not English. Okay, oh my... <laughs> He does well. Yeah, okay. It's not the show we're, we're talking about. It's those red words. Who's the boss? And I want you to etch those in your mind, if you will, please. Because it's very, very, very important. Mark chapter 11. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. (laughs) And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, 
Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's a difficult subject. Bill McRae writes, To settle the question of who or what is my authority is to calm a thousand storms in the human soul. Interesting, isn't that? Read it again. Meditate on it a little bit. Excuse me. Okay. J.I. Packer. The problem of authority is one of the most fundamental problems that the church ever faces. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't read that right. The problem of authority is the most fundamental problem that the church ever faces. It's a big deal. It's important. Well, what's the big deal? It all started in heaven. Do you know who that is? Who? That's right. You know your Bibles. I'm not surprised. An archangel who said, I will be like the Most High. I want to be in charge. I want to make the decisions. I want the respect. I want the adoration. I, I, I. And the sad thing is that since the fall of mankind, all of us follow that same pattern. Can I say that again respectfully? You are a rebel. Sweet little me. A rebel? Yes. It's inherent in our fallen nature to be a rebellious person and to be the person that says, I'm not going to submit to that. I'm not going to bow down to that. I am the one who's going to be in control. It's a huge issue. I go back to McRae. There's times when, when there, this is such a huge issue that it just stirs us. It, it, it foments. It, it just, it, it, it's like this magnificent burp that won't come out. You ever had one of those? Just, now I feel better. Tiffany, I'm sorry. I offended her. I could see by the look on her face. You've all been there. You understand how this, this rebelliousness just stirs in us. And coming to grips with who the boss is brings calm to the seas. I'm, I, I, I'm not even going to go to the husband-wife relationship. Okay? I'm not even going to talk about the boss-employee relationship. I'm just going to let you sort out all those areas where authority affects your life and let you deal with the issue, who's the boss? Who's the boss? One out of six and it hits. Thank you. Authority is important. Without established authority, as I said earlier, we have chaos. But when I come to grips 
with who is in authority, who is in control, who the boss is, the stormy seas of my life can become calm. And can I suggest to us as a church that we create an awful lot of storminess in our, in our church, in our lives, in our relationships. And a good chunk of it lies with this issue of who's the boss. And so I'm going to ask you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking through His Word at all, I'm going to ask you to start dealing with some of those things. I'm going to ask you throughout this week to be reminded. Maybe, maybe every time you feel the wind blow and realize that the wind can create a stormy sea, you'll remember that the Holy Spirit is blowing through our midst, according to Scripture, and is in control, and that there is this heart of rebellion in every one of us. And when we conflict with the wind power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we create chaos. Okay? It's important. And so it's little wonder that they ask the question, by what authority do you do these things? And they came again to Jerusalem, they being Jesus and the disciples. And as he, Jesus, was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, in other words, the whole gang of religious leadership come to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Understand, was it last week? I wasn't here that we had the temple being cleansed? Okay. Similar to going into a wedding and grabbing the mic on that order, or going into a courtroom and saying, I'll take over, judge. Jesus goes into the center of religion. Right? The center of God's dealing with mankind. And he takes over and he's throwing money and he's knocking over tables and he's whipping, I don't know what all, cows and people and and he clears the temple. And the authorities are standing back saying, I thought we were in charge here. What's he doing? Remember the week, or just a few days, not even a week, maybe as much as only three days previous, he hops on a donkey, rides into Jerusalem, and the people are shouting, here's our king. Come on. That'd be the equivalent of going to Washington, D.C., trying to walk into the White House or ride your Ferrari into the White House grounds and say, I'm here, uh, Barack, if you would move over, I'll take over. It just can't be. And yet here he was, riding this donkey into Jerusalem, and the, the crowds are acknowledging his kingship. And the, the same group of people come up to him and say, <clears throat> Jesus, tell him to stop. Tell him to stop. 
And what was his reply? Anybody remember? What? If they quiet down, the rocks will cry out. Now that is exciting stuff. Okay? I've heard of trees clapping their hands. But rocks crying out? I long for that. And it's going to happen. I believe that there will be that day when the rocks just praise Him. All creation will join in praising the Lord Jesus. Rocks? Yes, that's what He said, and He meant it. Their authority was seriously challenged in at least these two incidences. Think of some other times when He had challenged their authority. What's that? Yeah, that wasn't very pleasant. That wasn't very nice of him. You brood of vipers. When else? What's that? That's right. That's right. And she was an adulteress. Anytime else? Sabbath healings? It just went on and on and on. He was constantly challenging their authority. They didn't like it. And so they came and they said, we, we, we need an answer. By what authority are you doing? Who has given you this authority? Basically, what they were saying is, this has to stop. You have to get it under control. So Jesus asked them a question. <clears throat> it's on, everything's right, there we go. Jesus said, where did John get his... This is my favorite picture of John the Baptist. I don't know if you recognize him, right, but there he is. Okay. Where did he get his authority? And, and why was that a big deal? Well, if, according to the Scripture, if they did not recognize the authority behind John the Baptist, they were in trouble with God. If they recognized the authority of John the Baptist, they were in trouble with the masses. Does, it, does that make sense? Well, we believe that John's authority was from God. Well, then why didn't you listen to him? Why didn't you repent? Why didn't you get the baptism of repentance and then follow the one who he was forecasting, the one he was foretelling? Why didn't you receive the Messiah when He came to you? But if they answer, well, we think John got his authority from, from the crowd of people. What would the people say about that? Well, we didn't give him that authority. We knew that this authority came from heaven and we responded to it. So either way, whatever they answered, they were in trouble. <clears throat> That's clear. You understood that. The issue was, who is the boss? Who's in charge here? To whom should we yield? And you have to ask that question over and over and over in your lives. Okay? What's the authority structure in the church? Who's the head? 
Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is the head of the church. All right? Who's next in the line of command? According to Scripture now, Chief Shepherd, who's next? The what? Who's saying that? I was afraid it was you, Mark. I was hoping that wasn't one of the elders that answered that. I was hoping that the congregation would recognize that there is authority structure in the church. Right? Clearly biblical. Biblical. We try to follow it. We have a leadership progression. I could ask this question about every institution. Who's the boss? And the problem is that if I don't recognize it or that I refuse to recognize it, we have real problems. Okay? What's the outcome for those who reject God's line of authority? Well, Christ tells a story. And it's a story that has a deep, deep lesson. And it's designed to pierce the hard heart. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. Could you advance it, Nathan? Okay. And he sent another, and they killed him. And him they killed. And so with many others. Some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? <clears throat> the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. This, is, this was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest Him, but feared the people, for they perceived that He had told the parable against them. So they left Him and went away. A few pictures to help us understand. This is actually a scene... Uh, at least this one down here, is a scene near Bethlehem, not far from Jerusalem. It is a vineyard tower. That's how significant they were. There's another actual picture of a vineyard. And you can see the hedges that are around the vineyards. Those are protective. Sometimes they were even thorny bushes that were put up. They grew them close together. They didn't want foxes. They didn't want intruders. Uh, they didn't want um, anything to get into the vineyard and spoil the harvest. It's interesting. Um, in Song of Solomon, Solomon says that there are little foxes that can sneak into the vineyard 
and destroy the blossoms. Those tender little flowers that will be the spot where the grapes grow. And if a bunch of fox are running around the vineyard, we've got a problem. Remember Samson? What did he do with the foxes? I, I tell you what, uh, Peter would have gone nuts if they'd have been around Samson. He caught a whole bunch of fox, tied their fox foxes, tied their tails together, and put a, a burning brand. And the foxes are going, woo, woo, let's go this way, let's go that way, and they're going around in circles, and they're burning the crops in the vineyard. See, a lot of damage can be done, and so you put up hedges around your vineyard. That is, if you build a good vineyard. There's a watchtower, so you can look and see what's going on. Somebody's out there picking grapes. There's a fox sneaking through. In fact, what was that one movie that I used to like, um, where the, the vineyard burned? Anybody see that one? I knew you'd catch you. Okay, yeah. Walk in the clouds, that's right, Kelsey. Another movie buff. <coughs> this priceless vineyard starts on fire. And all that's left is one little root. But from that root, they're able to restart the vineyard. It's a wonderful story. It touches my heart. Okay, anyway. Jesus' story touched the heart of the Pharisees, the elders, the chief priests, and so on. He got to them. Okay? They understood from Isaiah chapter 5 what the vineyard was. Let me sing for my beloved my song, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes. Sound familiar? I believe the Lord Jesus in his parable was quoting Isaiah 5. And the Pharisees had long been bragging that they were the vineyard. The Pharisees had long been bragging that they were this people of special repute. God's special blessing on this little vineyard. His choice vineyard. And look at the work that went into building that vineyard. The stones were... Have you ever been on a farm when it was time to move stones? Anybody? Two or three of you. What a delightful job. Is that fun? Oh my goodness. That's almost as bad as walking the beans. And they don't do that anymore. Anybody ever walk beans? Three of you? Okay. Yeah. Miserable. Miserable. I had a friend that, that was a farmer and, and uh, <clears throat> Betty and I would go off and help. And he had this huge tractor and he had a stone sledge. Do you know what that is? It, it's just a sled that you pile all these stones on. Well, I was throwing the stones on and I got to the point where I was about had it. I was exhausted. And so he said, why don't you drive the tractor and I'll, I'll pile stones for a while. Well, that sounded like a good deal. Well, this thing was heavily weighed down with stones and I got on the tractor and I popped the clutch and, pew, and I busted all the cables and the stone sledge stayed there and I took off down the field. He was not happy. But anyway, <laughs> it's hard work. This vineyard owner put a lot of work into Israel. Okay? God had a huge investment in Israel. And they understood that they were this special vineyard. And so when he told them this story, they knew right away what he was talking about. 
And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Those wild grapes were the problem. The Pharisees knew this scripture well. They got the message. Verse 12 in Mark 11 says, I'm sorry, Mark 12 says, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. William MacDonald says this, the vineyard was a place of privilege then occupied by Israel. The hedge was the law of Moses which separated Israel from the Gentiles and preserved them as a distinct people for the Lord. The the vine dressers were the religious leaders such as the Pharisees, scribes, and elders. I like the concept of the hedge being the law of Moses. That's kind of neat. In fact, what's thrilling to me in the United States of America, the law of Moses and the Word of God was at the very foundation of this country. And where we are today, so far from that foundation, is why we're having the problems we're having. Why we have scandal after scandal after scandal. Why there's chaos. Why our foreign affairs are in trouble. Why, why life is a mess. Okay? And it's for God's people. Are you hearing me? It's for God's people to be the ones who hold fast to the Word of God. We must not expect our government to do that for us. We are the ones that must do that. Mark is urging uh, our men to study a book called Be Intolerant. Right? Is that the right title? Be Intolerant by Ryan... um, Who? Yeah, Ryan Dobson. Be Intolerant. And the point of this book is, as Christians, we have sat back and let political correctness, let... I want to be careful. I don't want to step on toes. But we've let the government, we've let the law of the land move in and do anti-biblical, unlawful, un-God-honoring things and to accept them as okay. You can argue until you're purple in the face. But if we don't hold to the Word of God... Oh, but we're a advanced society. You can give me every argument you want. The fact is, if we do not hold to the authority of the Word of God, we will find ourselves in chaos. It's, it's that simple. Now, let's not be political. Let's get it back to where we live. I can't expect our government to do what the Word of God says. I can't expect that. I can't expect my unsaved neighbor to do what the Word of God tells them to do. I can't expect that. And you know what? I don't think God even expects that other than He expects them to yield to the authority of His person, His Son, the Lord Jesus. That's their chief responsibility. The Pharisees came and John to Jesus and said, what's the work? What work do you want us to do? Anybody remember that verse? It's an important verse in John. They remember what, what Jesus said. Here's, the, what, here's your job. Here's what I want you to do. I want you... What's that? I want you to believe. I want you to believe on Him who 
was sent from God. That's the entire work. But now for the believer in the Lord Jesus, there's a whole lot of work. Because Ephesians says that we have been ordained by God to carry out work. Now, not for our own salvation. He provides that. But once we trust in Christ as Savior, there's a multitude of work to do. And it centers around staying within the hedge of the law of Moses and the Word of God, the New Testament, Old and New Testament. Okay? Happy to discuss that with you. If you don't buy into that, we're, we're more than happy to go over that. Now, understand, this was an exceptionally well-built... <clears throat> what time is it? Three minutes, two. I'm going to go by that little black one on the bottom. Okay? This was an exceptionally well-built vineyard. Had the watchtower. Had a hewn stone wine press. That was pretty cool. They, they actually dug a pit in the ground and there was a little trench that ran out and, and at the end of that little trench they could put a bucket. And the guys would jump in and, and walk around on the grapes. You ever seen that I Love Lucy show where she was... Tra- yeah, okay. You guys got to watch... You watch way too much television. The grapes, the juice would come out. They'd collect that juice. They'd ferment it, put it in new wineskins and soon they would have delicious wine. How did they respond to this incredibly wonderful vineyard? This privilege that they had to be in this marvelous place where all this effort and work was done. First, they killed the prophets. And then they killed the son. Would you think about that? I would, I would fear for the person who did damage to Jason's son. I, I wouldn't want to be there. Lay a hand on Eric and watch the wrath of life. Simple as that, isn't it? We take care of our boys. We love our sons. They killed the son. Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. These are cornerstones. I really like this. This is really cool. Okay, notice, I didn't make this up. It was on Google Images, and so you know it's the truth. Okay? (laughs) That thing up there, right there, those are called cornerstones. Now, there's other definitions, but biblically, that's, that's what we can refer to. There's also the square stone, and I'm told that in, in biblical times, they hewed, one, they, yeah, they hewed one stone perfectly square. They laid that first, and then from there they took the measurements so that the rest of the building would be um, accurate and square. That, that was the cornerstone concept. We don't use that anymore. We build the building first, and then we put the cornerstone in. But that, that's the way they did it. On the arch, <clears throat> the last piece. Now, Jason, you tell us, you build a, a, a framework, right? And you start laying brick on that framework. And then finally, that piece goes in. And, and with Jason, he puts mortar on it. He doesn't cut them. But they cut their stone. And it was, it was to be an exact fit so that this opening, when you drop that stone in, would hold the whole thing together. 
All right? <coughs> Remove that cornerstone and the arch crumbles. Okay? Simple as that. What do we know about what happened in Israel? Well, they got it. They were seeking to arrest him. But feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. As I said, this is the second time in less than three days that they had been confronted with his authority. Pilate said it. Pilate again said to them, What then shall I do? I'm skipping ahead a few chapters, but we need this. What Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? Huge question, people. Because what he's asking is, who's the boss? Who's in charge here? Their choice was to reject him. What they should have done and what we should do is to accept Him. What does that mean? Well, you know the Gospel story. It was God's plan that the Son be killed. Isaiah 53, known to those Pharisees, projected into the future the rejection of the cornerstone. And so he was taken and he was tried and beaten and crucified. And then, as a last indignity, the spear was shoved into his side and it pierced his heart. Scripture says blood and water flowed out. And there was your salvation. Will you accept it? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, 1 John. <clears throat> I'm losing it. 1 John 1, 7, is that correct? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And how do I attain this salvation? Will you work? No. No. The work that he wants us to do is to believe. Simply believe. As I was praying this morning, I said, Lord, thank you for making it so simple, otherwise I'd have missed it. I'd have tried so many other things and never attained eternal life. But he granted it to me because I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I know he's the Messiah in my heart of hearts. I know that when he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, that God accepted that as the payment for my sin. All my sin is paid for. had a thrilling experience on Friday. Went into the car dealership to sign some papers. And the fellow that was working there, somehow, I can't even tell you, well, I, I started telling him about my dad and then he started telling me about his family and he's lost 
five important people in the last several months of his life. And, and his life, he feels like he's ready to explode. He said, last night I went down by the river and I cried out for God. And I said, well, you can find him in the Gospel of John. And I want you to start reading it. And every time you come across the word believe, you stop and you say, either I believe this or I don't believe this. And you choose. And the tears came down his face. He said, thank you. I knew this is what I needed. Now I'm going to follow up and see that he's reading. But what a thrill to know that simple belief. It won't take away his problems, but it will give him the foundation for dealing with life. You've been there. I look out here and I see pain in the lives of people who've been held together by God's grace because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Two more points. Acknowledge His authority and the authority of the Word of God in our lives. And then make Him Lord. He is Lord, correct? But there's an acknowledgement process. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, mine included, that He is Lord and my life needs to be lived in consistency with what the expression of my tongue will be. And so does yours. Father, we must have Your Holy Spirit. We must have Your Word constantly being fed into our lives. You are Lord. By rejecting Your Word, we're rejecting Your authority. By forsaking the Scriptures and not spending time in them, we're rejecting Your authority. By not responding in righteousness and with a positive regard to Your Word, we are acting in rebellion. Lord, You are the boss. We, we know that, and yet our nature says no. And I pray You'll help us as a church to help one another. I pray You'll help us to individually yield to Your Holy Spirit that we could grow and be useful and be a productive vineyard for our Lord Jesus. We ask in His name. Amen.